great and mighty things would take place um, before them as they walk this next week in Haiti. God, I thank you that your hand is mighty upon them, and we thank you for your word this morning. I ask that every distraction would be lifted, and Father, I thank you every cell phone would be silenced, and that your Holy Spirit would be free to speak through me today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Everybody's checking their cell phone real quick. I was just being silly. Um, I don't know if you guys ever read a Bible. Um, I do it every day, and I've been doing it for 19 years, and sometimes it, you know, you kind of take it for granted, and you kind of go through the motions and stuff, and I've had something on my heart. I knew I was going to be speaking to you guys, and I, I knew, you know, kind of the direction we've been going as a church, and I felt something on my heart, and, and as I was reading, I was trying to really study out and, and make sure that, you know, my theology was okay, and um, come to find out I missed it anyways in first service, but it's okay. I'm a work in progress, and um, I was reading through and, and studying something, and I was looking for something else and came across this one line, and I don't know if you guys have ever had this. I've, I've been studying the life of David. I mean, you could spend the rest of your life, really, in, in studying his life, and there's so much depth to his story, and... Um, um, but I couldn't shake this one statement in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 29. As David shows up on the scene, here's this great, you know, battle about to commence, so to say. The, the armies of Israel are lined up on one side and, and the armies of the Philistines are on the other. And, and here's this giant standing before the army. There's this one giant between victory and and failure. Like, it's like, this is it. Like there's this one man standing between them and the promise, so to say. And, and so David shows up on the scene and, uh, he says to them, is there not a cause this morning? I want to ask you that question. Is there not a cause when you see our world today, when you see our cities and our communities and our nation, the disarray, the dysfunction in families, the hurts in people's hearts, the pain that, that people are enduring, the things that we're going through, the, the rampantness of sin and darkness. I would ask you today, is there not a cause for God's people? Is there, is there not a cause for us to be engaged in a way we've never been engaged before? My point for you this morning, number one, is there not a cause worth fighting for? You know, when David showed up on the scene and here's God's people, the ones of promise, the ones of victory, they, these, are, these are God's chosen people. And they're allowing one man by the name of Goliath to stand between them and their promise. One man. Now, as I began to study, what I was really looking for was, did Goliath like like fight anybody up until this point, like in this moment? No, he didn't. He was just standing there in his stature, in his size, talking trash from the hillside. And here's the army of Israel hunkered down going, I ain't going to fight that guy. And David shows up and says, what is going on? Is there not a cause for one of us to go fight this Philistine? I want to ask you this morning. What giant is in your life 
that's keeping you from the promise? What, what voice is taunting you every day that's keeping you from fighting and possessing the promise that God has for your life? Because if we were really honest, I think we all have them, don't we? Some of them, they ride with us in the car every day. Some of them, they may be sitting next to you in church, that empty seat, not that person sitting next to you. But it's that little voice that, that is taunting you all the time, speaking in your ear, telling you what you can't do. And that's the picture I began to see as I read this statement. Is there not a cause worth fighting for? David comes on this scene and remembers the moments of victory that God had given him as a young boy. Right? So when he walks into the scene and he sees the army in disarray, all he can think about is, wait a second. I know who my God is. And I know what he's done in my life. Why are we going to let this measly individual keep us from going where God's telling us to go? As a church, as a person, as an individual, why do you allow the Goliath to keep you from moving forward? Why do you allow that Goliath to keep you bound in the things you've been bound in? Why do you allow that Goliath keeping you from being hope and light to your community? I believe that God wants us to bring a great change to this community. I'm not going to say the word revival, but I'm just saying God is opening some incredible doors in our community. I went and picked up our fare tickets from the lady, and praise God, I was just like, man, thank you so much for the opportunity. This is amazing for you, and, and to see the video, and she's like, we absolutely loved what you did last year. She goes, and it's just going to keep growing every year. Every year. They want us to come and be a part of the fair for free. They... Do you realize how amazing this is for a church to have the, the loudest stage in El Dorado County to proclaim the name of Jesus, to dance like David danced, to be love and light in our community? Come on, God wants to do greater things. But too many times we sit back and go, I don't know, that giant's too big. What are the giants in your life that keep you from possessing what God's promised to you? What are the giants that keep you from working in a kid's class? I know we keep driving that home, but it's such a great example. What are, what are the giants that, that tell you you're not good enough and you're not worthy and you're not smart enough and anointed enough and talented enough and good looking enough? What are the giants that keep you from doing what God's asked you to do? You know, I got, I got some in my life, and this last week I had an, well, actually it was a couple weeks ago, but I had an incredible opportunity, something that I never thought would ever happen with my life, and you know, I, I have a, a small little story that God's given me, a little testimony, and uh, it's just, a, and I've always <laughs> asked God, like, God, what do you want me to do with this story? And I've always prayed and said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. You know, and I had an incredible opportunity. One of the radio stations puts on this golf tournament, a Christian radio station, and, and we were talking on the phone. And she's like, would you ever want to come be on the radio? And I was like, never thought I had a face for radio, but sure, why not? <laughs> so I had the privilege to go and share my story on the radio that is being broadcasted throughout the Sacramento area online and, and all this stuff. I got to share my story but can I tell you that there's Goliaths that have tried to keep me from sharing. There, there's giants in my life that try to keep me from speaking what God has put in me. 
But I've had to get to the point where I say, isn't there a cause greater than this stupid, measly little giant? Isn't there a cause greater than listening to the voice of the adversary? This morning, what are you standing for? What are you fighting for? What is the cause that you fight for this morning? Some of you today have lost sight of the promise. You've lost sight of the fight. But I believe today that you could see that it's not too late. Isn't it funny in this moment that Goliath didn't actually fight anyone? He was just speaking words of intimidation. He just stood in his stature and intimidated God's people. Can I tell you today that Satan has no real power over you? He will tirelessly live to intimidate you and keep you at a place of inadequacy. That's all he's going to do. He is going to tirelessly, man, that's a tough word to say, second service. He is going to tirelessly fight you until the day you take your last breath. He is going to live to try and intimidate you, tell you you're not good enough, tell you you're not worthy, tell you you're just a sinner, you're not worthy to be used by God. He's going to speak. You don't have the, uh, the eloquence. You don't have the intelligence. Who are you to think that God could use you? He's going to say those things until the day you take your last breath. But this morning, how many of us listen to the voice of intimidation instead of the voice of anticipation? See, here's what David did. He shows up on the scene, and he sees the giant, and he says, what do I get if I kill him? Just tell me what the prize is. Because David knows who God is. Sorry, I'm fired up. If you think I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to yell at you, I'm just I'm excited because we're going to kill some things today okay and David shows up and he sees this giant and he goes just tell me what I win when I kill him David wasn't even part of the army he just came with a sack lunch to watch the show see what everybody's afraid of and he shows up and he goes in his heart he comes onto the scene with anticipation he's not intimidated by the giant in his life he looks at this giant and says, I don't care who he is. I know who God is. And so I fully expect God to show up and show off in my life when I enter into the battlefield with this giant. And so many of us, we sit back and go, I don't know if God's going to give me the victory. If I witness, if I try to stand for God, if I try to do anything for God, I may fail. David said, I know who God is because I know what he brought me from. I know what he's done in my life. I know the victories he's given me when I was a young boy. I know the places he's brought me through. And I can stand on this battlefield and say, just tell me what I win when I win. That's the voice of anticipation you got to get in your spirit when you walk out these doors today. Because can I tell you that giant is probably in your car waiting for you. He might be at home when you get there. He may be in your head right now. But can I tell you that you got to shift your mind from the voice of intimidation to the voice of anticipation and start believing that God could really do something significant through your life. Is there not a cause we're fighting for? So you got to get it into your heart that God really does want to do great things through you and through your life. He really does want to give victories in situations that seem unwinnable. I don't know if that's a real word, but I made it up. He wants to give you victory in the unwinnable situations of your life. But can I encourage you this morning that sometimes this voice of intimidation doesn't just come from Satan, the spirit. Sometimes it comes through the people in your life that he's speaking through. People that you love, people you care about, people you respect. 
And I'm going to show you. we got to back up a little bit because I want you to understand what David was. It's not so much that he just had to face Goliath. He had to overcome the people around him. He had to overcome the people that he loved. He had to silence the voices of his family. He had to silence the voices of the king. And he had to look at the giant and say, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to fight because I see a cause worth fighting for. Flip back a couple verses. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 26. David walks onto the scene, as I said, and he spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who, who are these voices that are keeping you from being God's representative in the earth? Who are, why do you even give them a place of entertainment in your minds? Why do you even give them the, a moment to even breathe in your head? I'm going to knock stuff over. Do you see that? I'm getting crazy. And the people answered him in this manner saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. Hold on a second. Sometimes the discreditors in your life come from the very people that you look up to, the very people you love. Justin, come up here. Donnie, come up here. I need some old people. <laughs> Bill. Um, Dwayne. Yeah, let's get an age order this time. You guys can turn and look at me. You don't want to look at them. Um, it's good. I need one more. Um, um, let's see. Um, no, I'm looking on purpose. I'm on purpose this morning. Um, some of my guys left. Steve, come up here. Eliab heard David speak, and anger arose. David shows up on the scene unaware of what's been going on. He just knows that there's a problem because the army hasn't returned with the victory. So when he shows up on the scene, he's like, what's the problem? Is there not a cause? Why hasn't somebody beaten this giant? Now, Eliab, this is where I mess up in first service, was the older brother. And if you read the backstory a little bit, when the prophet came to David's father's house looking for the next king to anoint, the dad lined up all of his sons, and the prophet went down the line, you're not it, you're not it, you're not it, you look good though, you're not it, the beard on point. Close. You're not it. Where's John? John, come here. The prophet goes, hold on a minute. Somebody's missing. Where's he at? And his dad goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> the little shepherd boy. Somebody go get your little brother. Right? 
Huh. Wait a minute, I need somebody shorter. <laughs> Perfect, thank you. Stay right there. So as the prophet goes down the line, now, now I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation where you got looked past. And, uh, and, and Steve's faithful man of God in the house, greets people at the door, helps lead our home groups, does phenomenal blessing to our church. Bill, he helps out every once in a while. <laughs> Amazing blessing to our church. Leads worship and we're going to move on. Donnie, not for you today. A servant, a man of God. Just faithfully takes shots fired all day long in the sound booth. Gets roasted and not even his fault. Amazing servant, but you don't get picked. Justin, servant in the worship team. New dad, handsome, you're not it. Dwayne's been here since right out of high school, faithful to the house of God, serving every Sunday, playing bass, helping with the young people Tuesday nights, teaching them how to play, and just pouring his heart into this church. You're not it. But the prophet goes, you're it. John doesn't do anything. Yet. He just, he just comes to church here. Why are we picking him? So, so, so get this picture in your mind for a moment. Little brother gets picked. The guy that ain't doing nothing for the kingdom. And yet he's picked as the next king. Now, this is what I didn't say in first service. But if you understand in the in the, um, in the culture, the firstborn was actually always given the favor. But he didn't get it. It got bypassed and given to the little brother. Now, I'm saying all this for a reason today. Because sometimes when you get into that battlefield outside this door... Sometimes the greatest haters in your life are just the people that are actually jealous of who you are. Sometimes the greatest voices you have to overcome are the people that don't understand why you got picked and they didn't. Why is God doing things in your life and not mine? Why is God so good to you and not me? Look at what I do in church. How come God's blessing your life so great? Oh, it must be nice to be you. I mean, come on. Anybody ever heard some of those? Or maybe, don't raise your hand. Maybe you're that person that has said those things. Don't raise your hand, right? Like, all right, you guys can go back to your seat. Thank you, John. Stay right here because it's time for you to start doing something in the church. No, I'm kidding. You're good. <laughs> so, so get this picture in your mind. Here's David showing up going, I'm here to do business for God. And his brother is the very one that discredits his ability to do anything for God. So when it comes to understanding the cause, you got to recognize there's going to be times where people in your life are going to be the greatest voice you're going to have to overcome. But in order to do what God's called you to do, you got to learn to look past the voices around you 
Amen? And focus with anticipation on the promise that's before you. How many of us are listening to the voices around us instead of focusing with anticipation on the promise before us? Because there's a land that God's called us to possess. I believe God wants to do something supernatural in El Dorado County. I believe God wants to do something supernatural in your family. I believe that some of you have been praying and believing God for things to change in your family, changing in your friends, but for some reason this giant just keeps keeping you buckled down and it's time for you to rise up and say, I'm not listening to the voice of the adversary anymore. I'm going to start keeping my eyes with anticipation on the promise. I'm not moved by what I see or hear by the people around me. I don't care if you're not moving in their life, God. I'm expecting tomorrow something to be changed in my life because you are a God. that has delivered me from the lion and the bear when they tried to attack my sheep. You're the God that delivered me from every drug addiction. You're the God that set me free from every bondage and sin in my life. You're the God that has healed my body. Come on, what has God done in your life that you can keep your eyes focused with anticipation for the promise? (sighs) Or maybe that voice comes from somebody you look up to. Maybe it's a leader in your life. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 32. And then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able. You're not able. For you're a youth. And he's a man of war from your youth, from his youth. And David said, oh, no, 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 no. Listen to me, Saul. Let me tell you what God's done in my life. Let me tell you who God is in me. Can I tell you that there's going to be times where people are going to try to discredit who you are? There's going to be times where, where you're going to have to keep your eyes fixed on the causes before you. You're going to have to keep your eyes fixed on the promise before you and not listen to the naysayers all around you. See, David was one man in the midst of a generation, one man in the midst of a nation that said, my family, my kids, my friends, and my colleagues are worth fighting for. See, God doesn't look, God looks for David's. They will be moved by the voice of the giant, and they will move into a place of fight and not surrender. He's looking for men and women of God that will rise up and say, enough is enough. See, when you know what you're fighting for, it keeps you moving forward towards a promise and live with anticipation every day. Think about that for a moment. When you know what you're fighting for, it's really easy to keep your eyes moving forward with anticipation. Can I tell you, I I know what I'm fighting for. I wake up every day expecting God to use me to touch somebody else's life. I don't wake up every day wondering, God, do you love me? God, are you there for me? God, hello. You got to get to the place where you know God's there. You got to know that God loves you. You got to know that he's the great giver of life. He's the restorer of humanity. You got to know that he's the redeemer and the one that sets the captives free. You got to settle that in your heart. Now you got to wake up every day with anticipation that God's going to flow through your life. Why do we do a VBS? Because we have an anticipation for God to bring a young boy like there was at a VBS we helped out with two years ago. I was sitting there doing the teaching, and this young man came into the class, nine years old, and we get all done with the teaching, and he's in a corner crying his eyes out. He had never experienced 
the love of God in his life. He'd been abused, tossed from home to home through the foster system, and somebody finally brought him in. He was freshly adopted into a family. Why do we do it? Because we are anticipating a young man sitting in one of those rooms, one of those nights, that could experience the love of God, and their life could be changed forever. Why do we fight to do a backpack giveaway? Because to hear that little girl that's never had her hair cut by a hairstylist look up with a smile on her face and go, I've never felt so beautiful in my life. What are you anticipating? What are you fighting for? What is the cause within your heart? Is it just so that you can say, I'm a Christian? Is it just so you can say, oh, I believe in Jesus? God's got something greater in store for his people. He's got something greater for you to experience. He's got greater promises for your life. Some of you, all you've known is defeat in your life. Can I tell you that we serve a God that is a God of victory? He's a God of promise. He's a God of provision. He's, a, he's the great way maker where there seems to be no way. Number two, is there not a cause worth standing for? Is there not a cause worth standing for? How many of you know the enemy is constantly working to create weariness in humanity? How many of you recognize that spirit today in our world? I'm just, I'm too tired. I'm tired. I'm wore out. Oh, life. Galatians 6, 9. Don't get tired of helping others. What are you standing for? What are you fighting for? See, when, when my motivation is, is for what I get, I become weary. He says, you'll be rewarded by people when the time is right if you don't give up. See, I get weary when I'm looking for my return from the people instead of my return from God. Because can I tell you the pastor said it so beautifully last week? The greatest joy of being a Christian, the greatest joy of, of being in a church, being in ministry, the greatest joy is working with people. And the greatest pain of being a Christian and working with people and serving in a church is working with people. When they call you five minutes before church and say, I'm not going to make it, can you cover me? Like, yeah, we just got extra people in our back pocket. Like, we're all volunteers. Amen? Sorry, I must have hit a sensitive vein. I'll go move on. The King James Bible says, and let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I'm going to close my eyes because I've got to imagine the people that aren't here anymore. It's none of you people, but I know that in the last 19 years that I've been going to church here, there's people that aren't here today because they grew weary. They lost heart because their eyes got off of the cause and they started looking for the return for themselves. Don't grow weary and well-doing. Your time is never up until you stop breathing. 
Your role may change, it may shift, but God's never done with you until the day you take your last breath. Don't grow weary. There's a spirit today of weariness. Don't allow that voice to win in your life. Don't let that giant be bigger than the promise of God. Don't allow yourself to get weary because your kids ain't where they're supposed to be. Don't grow weary because your grandkids aren't where they're supposed to be. Don't grow weary because your spouse isn't where they're supposed to be. Don't grow weary because you're not seeing what you thought you would see. Hang on to the promise. Keep fighting. Keep pressing. Keep giving. Keep serving because I can tell you the more I give to God, the more I serve God, the more God just supernaturally, unexpectedly moves on my behalf. The more I live to see a Frank sitting in these chairs, the more God moves on my behalf. Don't grow weary in well-doing. So why do we keep loving? Why do we keep serving? Why do we keep giving? Why do we keep standing for righteousness? I believe it's because of a picture just like this. In Daniel chapter 3, we see King Nebuchadnezzar. He became this powerful king and, and exalted to this great place. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had won much favor with the king. And the Bible says in, in verse 10 that the king had made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, burning, fiery furnace. Is it hard to witness for the Lord? Is it hard to be a Christian today? Is there a burning, fiery furnace on the other side of your obedience? See, there are certain Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Think about this. Paint this picture in your mind. This, this I don't know, I don't, maybe it says it and I don't remember, but I just picture this mass amount of people. And when all of a sudden the band, so, so to say, begins to play, Everybody falls to their knees in worship to these idols. Everybody except for three people. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you feel like you're the only one in the crowd, right? And, and when you know what your cause is, it's okay. When you know what you're fighting for, it's okay. When you know what you're standing for, it's okay. See, these men, they, they knew who they were standing for. They knew what was on the other side of their obedience. They knew that we could die if we don't do what, what is right. I think that might be a lost art in culture today. Right? Like everything's just acceptable. I went to a thing, they were talking about the postmodern age where whatever's good for you is good for you and whatever's good for me is good for me and then we just all just be happy and get along together. Like, so if you think that that's okay to do, that's fine. I think this is okay to do. Can I tell you that as a pastor, I could find justification today to do whatever I want and still feel holy in the world's eyes. I could smoke pot before service up in my office and come down here and preach and find justification for that. In our culture today, I really could. 
I could, I could set up a, a, a keg, and we could serve communion out of the keg. I'm not joking. A ministry friend of mine told me that they took communion at a church, and it was shots of, like, vodka. I could, I, I could find justification for all kinds of things today. But when you know what your cause is, you're not living to find justification. You're living for righteousness. See, some of you aren't seeing the promise because you're bowing to things where you should be standing. Sorry, I know this can get uncomfortable for a minute. Some of you aren't seeing the promise of God unfold in your life because you're too busy bowing for the things that God's not asking you to bow to. God is looking for a generation that will stand for righteousness, for holiness, for sanctification, because I believe there's enough lost and broken people out there. They got so many issues in their life. If they come into the church and see the same issues, what good is the church? And I'm not saying that to beat anybody over the head. I'm just saying that, that I believe that God is saying, is there someone out there that will stand for righteousness when everybody else seems to be bowing? Now, I'm not trying to say I'm, I'm better than anybody else. Trust me. I am dealing with my own issues, trying to be my own man of God, trying to find what God says in his word and, and live by that and that alone. I am not looking to anybody else because I could find pastors and leaders all over the world that could easily justify the way I want to maybe sin. But I believe that God still desires to have men and women that will stand when everyone else is bowing. Is that easy? No. Would it maybe cost you death? I don't think so. These men were willing to die. But in today's culture, would really being a Christian at your workplace cause somebody to kill you today? You guys need different workplaces. We don't know what suffering is in America. Trust me. I, I get what you're saying, okay? But we live in America, okay? It, it's a whole different world in America, okay? Just witnessing to your neighbor, are you going to die? Then why don't we do it? Are we too worried about winning a popularity contest? That's what I'm trying to say. It's too many times we're, we're bowing uh, uh, instead of standing and fighting. In other countries, will you die for your faith? Yes. Were there people that have died here? Yes. Has America been built on the sacrifices of those that stood? Yes. Are you willing to endure the fire to stand for Christ? See, I think we all feel the pressure to conform to what those around us are doing at times. But these guys refused to succumb to the pressure if the band would come back. Isaiah chapter 43. See, when my eyes are focused with anticipation for the promise, I believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that if they stood, that God would redeem them. If they were willing to stand when everybody else was bowing, that God would save their family. I, I, I believe that if we could put it into modern times today, that if, that if I'll just stand for righteousness, that God will work on my behalf to bring forth the promise. Can I tell you what convicts me today is my kids. 
I'm not serving God and I'm not trying to do what I do for me. I'm doing it so that my kids will know who God was and who God is. And they can see that God can do greater things through their life than he's ever done through my life. And I know that if I don't stand for something, they'll run after everything. Amen. I could easily go find things, but can I tell you that I am horrible at putting my seatbelt on in my car? And I am the first one to admit it, and I ain't going to lie to you about it. I am a horrible driver. I'm a horrible seatbelt fastener, okay? I, am, I don't put fish on my car. I, don't, I bought a new truck. I didn't put Lord Jim on the back because I am a horrible representation on the road of what it means to be a Christian. I'm just having a total repentance right now in church. Can I get a witness in the house? But my kids, <laughs> they pointed out to me. And I'll be like, are you guys seat belted, buckled up? And I'm not buckled up. And now I got one of them. I'm not going to tell you which one. He doesn't put a seatbelt on. I'm like, put your seatbelt on. And he just looks at me. I'm like, oh, mercy. How many things in our life are we bowing to and our kids are watching? How many things are we justifying in our life that is giving fuel to a fire that's already burning in the next generation? You know, I, I'm not a tattoo guy. The only tattoo I've ever wanted to get, well, probably not the only one, but number one, I hate needles, so I'll never get one. But number two, I, I don't want to get one because it'll just give the next generation for me, what I'm convicted about is then they'll be like, well, you have one so I can get as many as I want. Just an illustration. Just it's, Some of you have them. That's fine. It's your own skin. But for me, that's what I go by. It's like if, if, if I were to do these things that maybe you could find justification, but can you really find justification? Or am I just trying to make them work for me? What are they going to do? You know, what, what I listen to, what are they going to listen to? What I entertain myself, what are they going to entertain themselves with? So if I'm not willing to stand for righteousness, how can I ever expect them to stand for righteousness? One of the greatest frustrations, you guys can start doing something. <laughs> One of the greatest frustrations in my life as a youth pastor, and I don't think any of you have ever done this. If you have, shame on you. But parents come to me and they tell me what their kid needs as they drop them off and they leave. I have one that I know and they're like, oh yeah, my, my kid really needs to be there. I'm like, and you don't? Like, what do you do? You're going to drop them off and go do what you want to do and have dinner and whatever else you have with dinner and then come back while they had Jesus and you had flesh. That just burns with rage in me. Because what are we saying to a generation? See, I believe that God is opening doors for us because because he's going, wait a second, is this a body of people that's willing to stand when everybody else is bowing? I, I believe that. 
I believe that God's raising up a, an army that will not be moved by the giants in front of them, that will go forth and possess. Come on. I believe that God is raising up Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednegoes that could change their campuses. I believe he's raising up a generation that can walk throughout this city and this county and begin to see God do greater things. If you'll be willing to keep your eyes with anticipation, look at what he said in Isaiah. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Listen to the promises of God. What are you going to stand for? What are you going to fight for? Are you going to bow? Are you going to allow the Goliaths in your life to keep winning? Or are you going to rise up and say, my God is more than enough. My God has put victory in my heart. My God has put a promise before me. I'm not going to bow any longer. I'm going to stand for righteousness. Come on. Give God a big praise in this place. I'm going to close with this. How many situations do we face daily in our personal lives and corporate lives that could easily be validated as hopeless and pointless? Yet there's a king, and his name is Emmanuel, God with us. And he is there to rescue from despair, redeem you from the fire, bring salvation to your home, restoration to your marriage, healing to your body, and freedom to your soul. If you don't believe that he's a God that can do those things, it's time for you to believe with anticipation in your heart. Come on, stand to your feet. I'm fired up. I can't help it. I'm ready to kick the devil's hiney. I'm ready to slap him in the face. I'm not going to lose in victory. Some of you this morning need to get out of your comfort zone. Some of you need to be like, I'm done losing. I am done being a stiff-necked Christian. I am done being stuck up. I'm ready to let free. I'm going to challenge you right now. Get out from behind your chairs. These guys are going to play this song, and I want to see the church come alive. I want to see, if you can't come alive in here, how are you ever going to be alive out there? Some of you need to quit listening to what you're listening to out there. Start listening to stuff like this. Because when you start listening to God's promises, it gets something stirred on the inside of you. See, I get convicted because I want to stand for what's true. So i got to make sure that I'm putting the right things in so the right things come out. Amen? Come on, let's dance for a moment this morning. Come on, if you want to see victory in your own life, then you got to stop bowing as the others around you bow. Come on, let's dance this morning. Thank you.